welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Okay, grab a Bible. We're in a series called A New Thing, and we're just looking at the ways God shows up and begins to do a new thing. We, we've been kind of forecasting the season as God's doing something new in our church. He's also doing something new in the world. Um, but we're looking at encounters in Scripture where God is doing something new, and how do people respond? Um, I told you I was in, with COVID this week. Mm. And um, so the rules of screen time with my family— there were none. It was basically kids watch as much TV as you want, um, and now we're detoxing and we're paying for it. But um, one of the movies I watched with them was a movie called Yesterday. Anyone see Yesterday? Yeah, some of the families are like, yeah, I, and now everyone's, all my kids are asking for it. So the premise of the movie is this. Parents have a problem parenting, and they go to an open house at school, public school. Um, nothing, that wasn't like, it. they go to a public school house. Uh, that wasn't a dig. Um, it sounded like a dig, like public school. Um, and one of their like teachers who has lots of kids uh, offers them hot tots, uh, the parents, and says, hey, I, I know how to fix your kids. Um, give them a yes day. And the premise is they agreed to these terms of saying yes to everything their kids ask. Um, and so the movie is just this wild adventure of these parents saying yes to these outrageous things, like eating a bunch of ice cream for breakfast and then driving through a car wash and rolling down their windows and letting the water spray. The whole movie, as a parent or anyone that's a little responsible, you're like, this is crazy. This does not make sense. No, um, who's gonna, this is going to cost so much money to get the smell out of the carpet in the car. And you're thinking of all these things. But at the end of the day, you're watching this movie. It's a movie. It's whatever it is. And, and at the end of the day, you're like, okay, something powerful happens where the relationships take place. The story unfolds because they said yes. And I was thinking about this whole thing. What makes the biblical heroes heroes in the Bible? From Abraham to Noah, to Moses, to Joshua, to Gideon, to Samson, to, uh, to Jeremiah, to Isaiah, to Nehemiah. What, are these, what do these characters have in common? It all comes down to one overlooked characteristic they all have. They say yes. I talk to Pastor Bill about this all the time. How many Abrahams did it take to get that Abraham? How many... How many Moseses were there, potentially? I believe in God's sovereignty, right? So I also believe in God's overwhelming willingness to wait for a willing participant. And so what you see over and over again is this overlooked quality of life that make these biblical heroes heroes. It's not their faith in the moment. It's not that they have significance of any kind. It's their willingness to partner with God and say yes. And perhaps there's not a more significant character in all of Scripture other than the mother Mary. And I want to look at Mary's story today as we talk about Christmas. Mary's unique story. So if you have a Bible, go to the Gospel of Luke. Just let you go there. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Verse 26. You guys, there's no sound, there's no pages spinning so or uh, moving. So I'm just assuming you're on your devices. Is that is that true? Great. Great. You just, just don't get confused with Instagram. It's fine. Or your emails or your text or Snapchat or TikTok. 
or YouTube or Safari. Sorry, there's just a lot of distractions there. Here's my Bible. Verse 26, it says this. Um, (laughs) In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, verse 26, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a uh, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, who happens to be a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Okay, the story of Mary begins in this this chapter, in chapter one of uh, of Luke. And what you have to know, we've done series on the gospel of Luke. Luke um, writes this gospel as a theological narrative. He's writing to you as followers of Jesus so that you know what happened but not just a historical account of what happened. He's writing so you know what it means now that you follow Jesus. And this is so important. So there's a story right before this, which I'm gonna contrast back and forth to Mary. It's the story of Zechariah. Zechariah is a priest. We'll talk about him in a second, but an angel visits him and says, you're gonna have a son. He's gonna be John the Baptist. He will prepare the way for Jesus, the Messiah. This is a long prophecy of the Old Testament. Um, that there, the one, there will be someone who prepares the way for the Messiah. <clears throat> and so he, excuse me, he hears um, this. And so he gets a, an encounter from the angel. And now we have Mary. But what we get from Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, is this lineage history. And you get a glimpse of it with Joseph. Hey, there's this character named Joseph. And Joseph comes from the line of David. So every time there's a something significant Luke is going to make sure you know there's something significant about this person. What do you hear about Mary? She's from Nazareth, which was nowhere to be found up up until a few hundred years ago. Not even that, like 60 years ago, 80 years ago. We found from um, the Dead Sea Scrolls, rabbinic writings that located Nazareth. So we didn't really know where it was because it was insignificant. It's mentioned in the scriptures, but nowhere else. So she's from the middle of nowhere. She's a virgin, but that's it. No family line, no history, no priest line, nothing that enables her to be a significant character. And that's what Luke wants you to know. Luke wants you to know Mary is ordinary. Zechariah, on the other hand, which is in Luke chapter one, verse 11, it says this, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. So so the angel appears to Zechariah, in verse 11 of chapter one, at the altar of incense. And it says, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. What's your prayer? Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. So the story right before this, for the sake of time, um, is the story of Zechariah. Zechariah is a priest who, who's married to someone who comes from a priestly descent, the line of Aaron, which is from Moses' brother. He is in, in Jerusalem in the temple offering incense as a sacrifice to God and the angel shows up there. That's exactly what you would expect. You would expect an angel to be in the holy city, in the holy place, the temple, meeting with holy people like priests during a holy service like worship. Are you with me? So Zechariah's story is Zechariah is a married man. He's a priest. He comes from priestly descent. He's married to Elizabeth, who has a, comes from the line of Aaron. He's in Jerusalem at the temple, burning incense. 
And God answers his prayer. And what's the prayer? We find out that he, his wife, is barren. And they're old age. And so this is the story we've seen over and over again in the Old Testament. God, Abraham, and Sarah, he heals a, the barren womb of Sarah and gives birth to Isaac. We see this over and over again. God meets people where they're at. So this story is what you would expect. That's all I'm trying to say. Zechariah is the guy you would expect to encounter God. Mary, no. Mary is unexpected. She's a teenage peasant nobody. She's betrothed, meaning she's not even married yet. She's probably 13 years old. The betrothal period is usually 10 to 12 years old in the ancient Near East at that time. So she's young. She's probably a teenager. Um, and she's betrothed to someone who's probably 20 years old, Joseph, who's preparing a room and preparing to have her as his wife. She's from the middle of nowhere. She has no family line and no history. That's that's the contrast, and I love it because it tells you about who God is. Remember, Luke's saying, this isn't just what happened. But this tells you why. This tells you who God is. This tells you what God's like. God is doing a new thing, and he's going to use someone you don't expect. Why? Why does Mary become the archetype for us? I want you to pay attention. When I was reading this text, I wept. And I what? Because I was so moved thinking about the cost of her yes. We'll get to that in a second. So verse 28, the story of, of Mary continues in verse 28. It says this, um, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting might this be? But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. <clears throat> Excuse me. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord, uh, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his, his kingdom will never end. So, uh, Michael or John, will you hand me my water bottle right there? Excuse me, my throat is scratched. Thanks, bro. You got your Bible. John has his Bible, guys. Check it out. <clears throat> so the angel comes and says to Mary, first of all, she's shocked because in the first century, men or people don't greet women. Okay, so the fact that there's a formal greeting is a shock to her. What does this mean? Like she's confused, right? And then she's visited by an angel. Can I just say this real quick? Because I actually was convicted about it that I didn't put more into this. But when you look, when God's doing a new thing, there are lots of stories where, where the people who God encounters visit, are visited by an angel. I think in our evangelical world, we just dismiss the angelic hosts that are all around us all the time. And we have this like idea, like we're only going to hear God through the Spirit. But God speaks through angels today. I just want to invite you to have an imagination that will include angelic hosts in the future. Because God, God's, God's stirring something in his church. And angels, there are angels all around us at all times. It says in scriptures, we all have an angel guarding us. Like, wait, really? Yeah, and we have fallen angels attacking us. We've talked about that already. We don't need to do that. It's Christmas time. Let's keep going. Although, okay, this is just a quick pastoral aside. Here we go. There's, you know, 
I love the book of Revelation for lots of reasons, um, which we need to finish that. We started it in COVID. We're going to finish that. But I was thinking, what if this Christmas Eve, we told the story of Christmas that's in Revelation? You're like, wait, there's a Christmas story? Yeah, there's a Christmas story in Revelation. And it's, it's in Revelation 13. And it's the story of the dragon that tries to eat the child of the woman. You know that story where there's this woman who's gonna give birth to a child and there's a dragon that tries to kill the child? That's the Christmas story in apocalyptic literature. You're like, oh my gosh, I never knew. I thought it was the future antichrist story because I saw all these horror films. No, it is the Christmas story. It is the story of Mary and Jesus and Satan trying to kill the baby. How about that for Christmas Eve? You're like, I'm not coming to that service. I'm not inviting my neighbor. I'm not inviting my neighbor to that one. <laughs> Christmas left behind. Just kidding. <sighs> and it works. This is so fun. It works because the mark of the beast was connected to selling goods in, the, in Ephesus. And it had to do with buying and selling and exchanging goods because in order to sell the goods, you had to worship Caesar as Kyrios, as Lord. And the question is, and once you did that, you could go in, you got a purple dye or a blue dye on your hand or on your head. And so John is saying, will you take up the mark of the beast so that you can consume? So that's why it works for Christmas, doesn't it? Oh, whoa, Darren, come on. Don't make these pastoral jokes I'm still trying to buy all my stuff on Amazon right now for Christmas. Yes, it's about that. Okay, keep going. Here we go. <clears throat> There's all these Old Testament allusions about Jesus foretold, but let's keep going. So the response that she gives to this angel is verse 34. How will this be? Mary asks the angel, since I am a virgin. So her, I, wanted, I want you to see this. This is, this is like my main point. My main point is her response. So an angel visits this nobody and she says, okay, well, how is this possible? I'm a virgin. So it's a question of clarification. How is God gonna do this, right? It's not doubting that God can do it. It's a clarification of how is this possible? I love what the message says. It says, um, Mary said to the angel, but how? I've never slept with a man. How am I going to conceive a, conceive a child if I've never been with a man? That's the question that she's asking. Now, if you go to Luke chapter one, I want you to look real quick at Zechariah. Okay, remember, this is the guy. He's a priest doing the worship. He's the pastor on stage preaching. This is the guy you expect to get it. This is the guy you anticipate when God shows up. He knows exactly how to respond. But look at what Zechariah does in verse 18. He's told that he's going to have a child. His wife, who's barren and old, is going to have a child. His response in verse 18, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The message translation, Zechariah said to the angel, do you expect me to believe this? I'm an old man and my wife is an old woman. So Mary asks for clarification. Zechariah in the Greek language is asking God to prove he can do it with a sign. Mary, not married, never been with a man, wants to know, God, how are you possible? How is this going to take place? Zechariah, prove it to me, God. Prove it. 
And if you read the rest of Zechariah's story, it's hilarious. I feel like Gabriel's offended. He's like, do you not know who I am? I am the angel. I've defeated. So he gives him like this list. He's like, you're, you're going to be quiet now. You're going to be mute for the next season because you're an idiot. <laughs> and he comes out and he's got, he's supposed to do the incense and he can't explain what happened. He's like, there's an angel, you know, or whatever. <clears throat> It's so good. But then there's Mary. Verse 35. Here's the clarification she gets. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I mean, this is all this Old Testament overshadows language of what happens when, when God fills the temple. It's the same language in the Greek to Hebrew. It's about shielding his people. The birth of the child will be conceived by the Holy Spirit. This is fulfilling Haggai chapter two, verse uh, six through nine. The, the earlier parts fulfilled um, where, where, where he says, your son will be called Jesus. That, that literal translation is Yeshua, Joshua. Right? So the transliteration is Jesus, but the word actually for Jesus is Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. So your son will be called Yahweh saves. He will be called the son of God. He will take on the throne of David. All of these things have the Old Testament fulfillment. So uh, Mary is getting this sense that this is so much bigger than she could ever imagine. It's overwhelming. She's going to conceive a child. It will be the Messiah. And then the angel continues, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She, um, who was said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. So that's the promise straight from Genesis chapter 18. It's just drawing you into the story. Nothing is impossible for God. So this is the story. Mary, the peasant, teenage nobody, encountered by an angel. God wants to bring you into this new thing, overwhelmed. Here's how it's going to happen. And there's all this theology I want you to pick up on. First of all, major theology for the gospel of Luke. And I, I, you know this if you're part of the Garden Church. Number one, you're going to see this over and over again in the gospel of Luke or in the book of Acts, which is his part two or season two, like we call it here, um, is this, that this, the Holy Spirit is everything. In the Gospel of Luke, if you take a pen, a different color highlighter, and highlight how many times the Holy Spirit shows up, it is overwhelming. Why? Luke is wanting to tell you why. He's showing you this is what happened, but here's why it happened. If you want to know what God's like, he is a God who fills people with his presence. How did, the Holy, how did Jesus get conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit? Jesus will be baptized, led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and then he will leave, defeating the temptation from the enemy in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he will begin to minister through the same power of the Holy Spirit. He will know what God's doing through the power of the Holy Spirit. He will heal the sick through the power of the Holy Spirit. He will cast out demons through the power of the Holy Spirit. He will raise from the dead through the power of the Holy Spirit. Then the church continues on, and guess what? They do the same things through what? The same power the presence of God with them. A theme that you can't miss in the Christmas story is the Holy Spirit. But there's another theme. And this theme, I'm going to take this one off. This is bugging me. Seth, I don't, or whoever, I'm going to grab one of these microphones. Any, mini, mighty, mo. Here we go. That way I can cough away from the microphone. Um, okay, so there's another theme that's all throughout Luke, and it's called the Great Reversal. You want to write this down. In the Gospel of Luke, you will see this over it. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, I should take notes. Okay, okay, here we go. I'm only hearing the words of life, you know, no big deal. It's the Word of God. It's cool. 
And if you're like, hey, is this pastor for real? No, I'm not for real. I'm just pretending. I'm just joking with you. But all truth is God's truth, so there you go. You're, some of you are like, Revelation 13, where is that? You're trying to figure it out. You're like, what the heck? I'm so distracted. The great reversal is simply this. Those who are supposed to get it, don't. And those who shouldn't get it, they get it. The outsider will become the insider. The first will be last and the last shall be first. The greatest among you will be servants to all. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down their life for a friend. Jesus will say he hears the cries and the prayers of tax collectors. He will compare the rich young ruler blessed by societal standards to that of a child. God honors the widow that gives an offering, not the Pharisees. And it's no surprise to us that when the Messiah is going to be born, it's the word of the Lord. It's okay. I think it's a drum thing that fell. Um, I don't see any angels. You guys see any angels? What's going on? Don't be afraid. It's terrified right now. You guys heard that, right? Because my brain's been doing tricks. Thank you, Michael. Look at you. You are a man of many talents. They're like, they're serious about the word here. I was saying something. No surprise that when the Messiah is going to be born, the Son of God, the Son of the Most High, the long-awaited King prophesied thousands of years before will be born to a peasant teenage mother with no significant family history in the middle of nowhere because that's what Christianity is about. That's what Christmas is about. And I don't know what kind of Christmas story you tell your kids or your family, what kind of Christmas story you were raised on with the Santa Clauses or whatever it is now. I'll tell you this, it is about the underdog. It is about the underappreciated. It is about the overworked, the tired, the exhausted. It is the least likely people who are at the center of God's story when Christmas comes about. Because Christmas, like everything else in the gospel, is a reminder of God's present ever pursuit to bring justice to people who are desperate. It is a prophetic beginning where God will use the poor and powerless, the oppressed, the insignificant of this world to triumph his purposes to redeem and reconcile everything to himself. It's not like any other religion. No other religion assumes this is how God will operate. The gospel makes no sense to world standards and it will only make sense to you if you have a relationship with Jesus. You can't possibly get how crazy this sounds, that you can't earn your way to God, that you don't get what you deserve. You can't climb a spiritual ladder, work your way to a better standing with God. That's not how the God of scriptures works. He meets you where you are with no status, with no credit, with no spiritual bone in your body. And through his divine grace, he makes you worthy and significant. It's the And it's only going to make sense if you say yes to Jesus in relationship. This is the gospel. And what's crazy, if you read the gospels through the lens of relationship, you will see over and over again, Jesus will insist on your greatness. This is not some self-help talk, okay? Don't misunderstand me. Someone's gonna take this and be like, oh, Jesus insists on my greatness. (laughs) You're gonna Instagram that thing and then you're gonna miss the whole point. Your greatness is directly tied to your relationship to Jesus. You will move mountains. You will do greater things than these. 
You will say one thing, ask for anything, and it will be done for you through relationship to Jesus. There's nothing else. It's not some power you wield. It's through relationship. That's the gospel. The meaning of life is relationship. And that meaning first is found with God, second to each other. And this is what the Christmas story is all about. And if you have ever, ever wondered, you know, what condition makes you useful in the kingdom of God? It's not your resume. It's not your intelligence. It's not your capacity. It's not your resource to make yourself good enough. If you think it's any of those things, you're going to miss the point. Luke makes it clear with Mary. She's completely ordinary by all human standards. There's just one thing that makes her remarkable. Her response. And this is where I wept. Angel tells her this is what's going to happen. And her response in verse 38 is, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left. The message version says, Mary said, yes, I see it all now. I'm the Lord's maid, ready to serve. Let it be with me just as you say. What makes these biblical heroes heroes? It's their response to God's invitation. One translation takes Mary's line and they translate it to, let's do this. Sit with that. I'm not, I'm talking about teenage, pregnant as a teenager story. I'm talking about the, the, the offense that's required to make sense of what God is doing through Mary is undeniable. Her response to God doing a new thing is let's do this. No matter the cost, which she's already calculated, is so significant. It will cost her her reputation. It will cost her her future. It will cost her her standing in society, potentially her marriage. In the Old Testament, the law prohibits Jewish couples to giving birth and raising illegitimate children. She would be disgraced. Her family would be dishonored. And Joseph had the legal right to stone her to death. Imagine the conversation she had to have with Joseph, with her parents. She will be humiliated and she will suffer the consequences because of the yes. When God's doing a new thing, it doesn't necessarily make your life better. It just makes you part of his story. Mary is the ultimate model for following Jesus today. She will give up everything just to participate in God's redemptive work in the world. She will say yes, and she will give birth to a son, and that son will be the Messiah, and her yes will become a yes over and over and over again. It will be as she gets swollen, and as she gets filled with this new life, it will be the looks, it will be the glances. When she gives birth, they will know, they will whisper. In fact, we have rabbinic writings 200 years after she died, where rabbis uh, slander Mary's name. This is, they, they basically said that she was a prostitute and Jesus was the son of a Roman soldier and she was raising a child after prostitution. She literally will be slandered 200 years later because of her yes. And it will be a yes that makes her choose over and over again to surrender. 
Her yes is surrendering her well-being, her ideal future, her boundaries, her hopes, her vocation, her relationships, and standing in society at everything is at put, put aside to follow Jesus, or to, I'm sorry, to follow God's way. And she will say yes over and over again. She will raise that child, and that child will become the Messiah that we know. And she will say yes, watching him go to the cross, and she will stay by his side. That's when I started weeping. I was like, I can't imagine being a parent who, I don't know if she knew what she was getting into. But then as he begins to minister and say things like, you got to take up your cross, I wonder as a mom, if she was overwhelmed with the sense that she knew something was going to happen and it wasn't going to end the way she hoped. But she kept saying yes along the way. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that such a beautiful thing? And this is what I love. This is the point. God's sovereign plan to redeem, renew, and reconcile all things to himself involved the cooperation and participation of ordinary people throughout history saying, let's do this. There's a way of living in this world in which you're up for anything. You're open to the possibility that the God of the universe wants you, wants to empower and invite you into the things he's doing in the world. Jesus will challenge the way of the world and the way it works. And he'll teach you how to live in a way that's open to God, in a way that you're saying, yes, God, let's do this thing, whatever that thing is. You see, he will tell stories of people that will hold on, people that cling to their lives, white knuckle their power. Some will, will define themselves by how much money they make, how, much, how many possessions they have. They will try to build bigger storage units to contain their stuff and define themselves by sitting in the best seats and, uh, or they will ask to sit at the right hand. They will cling to the power. This is the way of the Roman world. This is the way of empire. It's the way of winning and competing and conquering and achieving and proving, taking what's yours at all costs. <clears throat> and then he teaches us how to live. In the American context, we live large, famous, as fast as possible. More, mine, my life, my dreams, my family, my future, my quiet time, my time off, my vacation, my apartment, my house, my everything. We live with this expectation that it's me at the center of the story. And Mary simply models for us how we live a radical life that leads to adventure. I am the Lord's servant. Let's do this. Now think about that, perhaps for a moment. That's true. Like what if what I'm saying is actually true? What if, I'm, what if what I'm saying is true? Just pause for a moment. That God, the God of the universe wants to speak to you, wants to help change and transform the world through you, where you are in your nothingness, in your pettiness, in your constant sin, your making lists, proving, selfish, all the things that you make yourself, and I'm just using my list, nothing. What if he says, no, I wanna use you? What if he's trying to speak to you right now about things in your life? What if he's whispering to you ideas that are crazy? I love it because if you learn to say yes, you will live a wild adventure. And when you say yes, oftentimes it's not just 
your story being a part of something great. It's God answering ancient prayers through your yes, which is Mary, which is Moses, which is Zechariah. It wasn't just Zechariah and Elizabeth's uh, prayer being answered. It was the long-awaited prophet who would prepare the way of the Messiah. They said yes. The Sunday I announced that we needed $100,000 more. I got a story that Tuesday, email. Hey, my family and I, we've been coming to your church. You don't know us um, for over a year. We serve, blah, 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 blah. Um, I got to church, and before, this is the story, before I even knew you were going to ask anything, I had this thought pop in my head, I need to give the garden $100,000. And then you start talking about building, and I couldn't get this thought away. And here's the thing. Our company exists for God. This is what, we're, we're, we're a million dollars behind in our company. But I felt like God say, give $100,000. And then I saw you needed $400,000, and I'm like, oh, what's $100,000? I'm like, what's $100,000? That's a lot of money. Um, <laughs> And he's like, but then I saw that you needed 100000 so we're writing a $100,000 check knowing that God is in this, and we just were grateful for being a part of it. Their yes to a whisper in a crazy, crazy moment in their life where they're expecting more money to come in, but they don't have it yet. They're stepping out before it's there, which so many of you have done and continue to do. Their yes is an answer to so many of our prayers. I got this email. I'm like, oh my gosh, God, you're real. Are you kidding me? This is right. Like, yes. <clears throat> but, but there are a million ways God's doing this. And when you say yes, this is what I love. You're invited into a greater story. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But it's God's story now, right? What are the things that God might be inviting you into that you need to release what if, if God is doing a new thing, not just for us as a community, but you in your life? How, what are the things you need to let go of so that you can grab onto the new thing? I really believe when you say yes, it creates possibilities for new things in your life. I love um, what Patricia Madsen wrote in her book, Improv Wisdom, which obviously many of you have read. I, was, I studied improv growing up, so here you go. So her first rule for improv, improv, you know, improvisation is, do I need to define it? Okay, it's where, you, it's where you act and you don't have a script and you make it up. And so I competed in a comedy club, um, but that doesn't matter. That wasn't a long time ago. Um, <laughs> she says this, the first rule of great improv is just say yes. She says, in improv, the best improvisers go with the flow of whatever their partners are doing. The worst improvisers reject their partner's offers and try to mold scenes into their own tastes. Saying yes is about supporting someone else's dreams and ideas. It lets you share control instead of trying to keep it. Can I read this real quick one more time? In improv, the best Christians go with the flow of whatever God's doing. The worst, I'm not gonna use that, is when they reject partner, their partners off. They reject God's offers and try to mold their life to their own tastes. Saying yes is about supporting God's dreams and ideas. It's letting, uh, and it lets you share in the journey rather than trying to keep it for yourself. Sometimes, so anyway, so in our moment, I want to just invite you to say, what is God asking you to do? Is there something new he's inviting you into? This is the perfect moment to pause, reflect, think, is there anything God is inviting you into in this moment? Maybe it's in your workplace, Maybe it's at your home. Maybe it's in your personal life. He's like, hey, I need you to let go of this and say yes to this. Is there something he's whispering to you? Because he wants all of you to participate. 
And this is what I want to say. When you say yes to God, it will take you on a journey. Maybe for some of you, it's recognizing that you've, there's been these little opportunities where he's been whispering to you about the poor. And you've missed it, right? You're just judging the homeless. And we've done this a lot in the last season as it's increased in our cities. I was thinking about that today. I was thinking about one time my wife said yes. And it, it re- this is years ago when we started our church. There was a homeless kid outside of Ralph's on 4th Street. You guys know where that is? His name was Joshua. And he was asking for money. And my wife started talking to him. And I was at home. We lived off of 4th and Ginepero behind what was formerly Portfolio. I don't know if that's around anymore. Um, we had a one-bedroom apartment. She's like, hey, Darren. I'm, uh, she calls me. I'm going to bring this kid home. Um, he's an alcoholic and he's homeless and he needs to detox. He's going to detox on our couch. Okay, babe. Sounds great. (laughs) Came home. Joshua detox on our house, in our house. Now we didn't have kids. So this is, this is a yes that was costly, but not as costly if we were having kids. I wouldn't recommend that. Um, he gave his life to Jesus over that time period. He had a warrant out for his arrest and he decided because of our relationship to turn himself in to serve time. Got out, got a job, moved, and now has a career. And it all because she just said yes to whisper. I was like, babe, why? She's like, I don't know. I just feel like God said to do it. See, that led us to an incredible story. Would you agree? That, that's an amazing, that's like one of those holy cow. Most, I mean, I can tell you the times I try to engage with someone, I'm getting cussed out. But there are these moments that you need to pay attention to. There are these divine encounters that will take you on this wild adventure if you just say, let's do this. I wonder if there's churches that need to be planted, missionaries that need to be launched, businesses that need to be started, friends that need to come, you need to come around, people that you need to visit, people that you need to forgive in your life because this moment you said, okay, I'm gonna listen, Lord. What is the thing you want us to do? The Christmas story Listen, at Christmas, we need people who are full of peace and hope and joy and love. But more than anything, in this moment, we need people who have the courage to say, God, let's do this. So I want to remind you that the church became a movement because ordinary men and women were filled with the Holy Spirit and they just said yes to God. And that led them to planting churches, sharing their faith, dying to Christ, for Christ, feeding the hungry, caring for the poor, starting orphanages, starting hospitals, starting universities, all to spread the good news around the world. I was thinking about this when I was sick, that um, I was isolated and alone and I felt despair. No, it wasn't that bad. Um, But I was thinking about how throughout history, it was the church that showed up in pandemics, historically. We, there, there have been multiple pandemics throughout 2,000 years where Christians took people in at their expense. They started orphanages and universities and educating women and children when no one would do that. It was the Christian movement that did that because of what it, what it meant to be a child of God. And I just wonder if the potential of garden was released, what would come out of it if we took it seriously? Can we pray? All right, would you stand with me? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.